0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Miss Ashley. (laughs) Today, we are going to learn about Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve got on very well together. They used to play with the animals and eat lots of fruit from the trees, except for one, the forbidden tree. One day, they decided to take a walk a little further into the middle of the garden It was there that they saw the most beautiful apple. There was also a big nasty snake in the tree who said, hey, why don't you two eat that apple? It's the nicest, biggest, juiciest apple I ever saw. Adam looked worried and Eve explained, we're not allowed to. God said so. Oh, don't worry about that, said the horrible snake. Have a bite. Go on. Adam looked at Eve. Eve looked at Adam. The apple looked lovely. Eve tasted the apple. Go on, try it. Adam had a bite and then all at once felt really ashamed because (gasps) he didn't have any clothes on. It just so happened that God was walking in the garden that day, but when Adam and Eve heard him coming, they ran away and hid. God was very angry when he found them. You have eaten the fruit, haven't you? He demanded. Adam said that they had, but that the snake said that it would be all right. God told the snake that it was going to be, from now on, the nastiest animal in all the world. He also told Adam and Eve that now they would know everything about good and bad, but that life would be really difficult from now on. He turned them out of the Garden of Eden ...and said that now they have to look after themselves. Once God had driven Adam and Eve out of the garden... ...he left a flaming sword to guard the tree... ...to make sure that nobody ever ate its fruit ever again.
1: Well... Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our final in the series of Sunday School Rebooted. Thanks again, Miss Ashley, for highlighting the main story. And, um, you know, this has been a series where we've looked at common stories, common Bible stories that you may have learnt in Sunday School. And from these stories, we learnt about an amazing God who created all things and who cares about you and me, and is someone that we can trust. And so these are all good things that I'm glad to have learnt in Sunday school. Things that I'm glad to have learnt when I was young. Sorry, I think I might be uh, making some noises here. Alright, it's my moustache. All right, we have tech support coming. <laughs> but as I said, I was really glad to have learnt about these um, core biblical um, truths because it's sort of helped me into my adult life. But you know, now that we are grown up, you know, there is, we can go back to these stories and we can sort of look at them with maturing eyes. There we go, I think we fixed it. And so we have, we've gone back to these stories and we've asked the question, you know, what was really going on in these stories? You know, what were the people involved feeling and thinking? And we also asked, what do we learn about God, the world around us, and ourselves? This week, we're going to be looking at the story of Adam and Eve, Uh, looking at chapter 3, which is normally referred to as the fall of mankind. We've seen the overview from the Sunday School version, but now we're going to go back and look at that. But before we do, let's just recognise that chapter 1 and 2 really sets the scene for this encounter. And so I want to give you a brief overview of chapter 1 and 2. And in there we see a picture of paradise. You know, God created all things... And he planted a garden in Eden where he made all sorts of trees grow. Trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as we see over here. And he also planted the tree of life. It also says that a river flowed from Eden that watered the entire garden and then split into four branches and watered. Other lands. As a person who enjoys gardening, this sounds like paradise to me. A place where everything was beautiful and gorgeous. And it paints the Garden of Eden as a source of life. And not just because the tree of life was planted there, it also was a source of a river that brought life giving water. Not only to the garden, but to further out land. So I'd never realized that before until I, you know, sort of read through it again. You know, this was a source of life. And this is where God chose to place the first human being named Adam. It's a good name. Really good name. <laughs> Purely coincidence. And everything he created was good. But the one thing he declared was not good was for you know, people to be alone, for, for Adam to be alone. And so he created the second, woman, uh, the second person, which was Eve. And unlike any of the other things he created, they were different. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, created them. You see, we were created in the image of God. Not that we are gods. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But we bear his image. And so we have some of his character traits. And what we learn is that it was not good for us to be alone because we are relational beings. But God is also relational as well. right? We serve a God who is In nature, love and relational. And lastly, um, for the summary, it finishes up in chapter 2, verses 25. It says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. You know, I wonder if you recall hearing this uh, in Sunday school, maybe. And, and like some of the kids in the video, you giggled a little bit because you're like, oh, man. Maybe you blushed a little bit too because you're like, I could. I mean, we could think of nothing more embarrassing than for others to see us naked. We just thought that was weird. I know I blushed when I heard it. But here's where reading the story through maturing eyes makes a difference. You know, when we ask the questions, what is going on in this story you know, what do we learn about God, the world around us, and ourselves? We see that their nakedness without shame signified their moral innocence and their openness of relationship between God and each other. You know, they had nothing to hide, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It was open, honest, and intimate, and there was, there was no sense of... of Of needing to cover up anything. And this brings me to my first point this morning, which is that we were created to be in relationship with God and others. This is where we start. In Genesis, it sets the foundation for who we are, who God is, and what we're meant to be. We are meant to be in relationship with God and others. And not only were we created as relational beings, we learned that God desires and longs to be in an intimate relationship with us. God longs for that. So here's where we pick up the story and begin our reading in Genesis 3 verse 1. If you'd like to follow along on the screen or in your Bibles, you can. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, Who was with her? And he ate it too. Well, the serpent was definitely shrewd. In fact, the NIV version uses the word crafty, and I think that just really describes it well. He was crafty because he started planting a seed of doubt in the woman's mind about the words of God. You know, he asked, Did he really say you must not eat the fruit? He also planted a seed of doubt about the goodness of God's instruction. If the fruit of this tree is good for gaining wisdom, then why would God keep you from eating it? And let me just say, at this point, Adam and Eve have done nothing wrong. You know, doubting is not a sin. And so the the serpent has come along and and placed this doubt on their hearts. And, And at times we... We all doubt. And I just want to say, like, sometimes we beat ourselves up about that. We're like, I just, I'm not sure. You you have questions. That's okay. I want to encourage you. If that's you this morning, come and talk with me. You can talk with fellow believers. That's why we are in relation with, with one another, because we can walk with each other in those times of doubt. But in this moment, they had a choice to make. Will they trust the goodness of God and the wisdom that comes from God himself? Or will they take matters into their own hands, disobey him and seek wisdom on their own terms? You see, I don't know if you've noticed before, but it's not that they weren't going to gain wisdom. It's just that God said, it's better for you to receive it from me than to to run after this tree and take it into your own hands. And so that was the choice they were making. Will we trust that God's way is better? Or do I just want to make it happen? In the end, like all of us at some point in our lives, they chose to go their own way and disobey the loving instruction of God. So let's continue reading and see what follows, starting in verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now I know we're looking at the fallout, from Adam and Eve's disobedience. But let's just take a minute to recognize this beautiful and intimate picture that verse 8 shows. You know, it says in the cool evening breezes, the Lord God was walking in His creation. And He intended to walk with Adam and Eve, as we find out in the next couple of verses. You know, scholars have read over this and they think that this is something that God most likely did every day, you know. In the cool evening breezes, He would come and He would walk in His creation and walk with Adam and Eve. And I, I just think that's that's a great picture. I mean, a God who is all powerful and yet comes and walks with His people—that's you know, that's precious. And there seems to be this reoccurring theme. You know, we keep seeing this recurring theme of relationship and God seeking after that. He desires to walk with us daily. Our God isn't a distant God who watches from afar. If we are willing, he will walk with us through life's ups and downs. But what happens to that close relationship with God when we disobey his goodness? What happens to that relationship? Well, Looking at Adam and Eve's example, we learn that disobedience slash sin immediately distances us from our Creator. Now, I'm not saying that God vanishes from our presence every time we sin. Not at all. But there is a distancing in that relationship. You know, when we choose to sin, we're choosing to hold God at a distance. i are saying that's close enough. You know, like Adam and Eve choosing to gain wisdom on their own terms, we are saying that we don't trust God with that aspect of our life. Even though we can see from Scripture and testimonies that God's way is much better in the end. And I've experienced that. Like, I've experienced God's goodness. I've experienced, you know, His way being better. And yet there are still times where I go against logic, <laughs> and I just go my own way. There seems to be this tendency that happens. But don't despair, church. It's not the end of the story, and there's actually a really encouraging part coming up, which it might sound a bit funny. Um, I was reading through this next section, and I couldn't help but feel encouraged by these words. I'll explain that in a moment, but let's read verses 9 through to 13. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, Well, it it was the woman who you gave me that gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. There's some strong accusations flying around there. But here's a question for you, church, and this is where I sort of found encouragement. But here's the question. If God is all-knowing, which means he already knew what Adam and Eve had done and where they were, why then was he asking them questions he already knew the answer to? What was the point of him asking those questions? Well, I believe he asked them as a way to invite them back into an open relationship. He didn't come in guns blazing, ready to pass judgment immediately. Instead, he gave them an opportunity, and multiple ones at that, to own what they had done, to repent, and to return to that intimacy and that closeness with him. Church, we should find this so encouraging So encouraging, because we learn from this that in the midst of our sin and disobedience, God's first reaction is not condemnation, but conversation. It's not condemnation, but conversation. Now, there might be a few of you who recall me making the same point in another sermon on another topic, and I was umming and ahhing about putting it in here, but... The fact of the matter is it's biblical, it's truth, and we see this over and over again. The woman at the well, when Jesus came and sat by the well, and this woman who had lived a life that was less than pleasing to God. She'd been with multiple men, and the man that she was with at the time, she wasn't even married to, and she was a bit of an outcast because of her choices and her sin. But in amidst that, Jesus' first reaction is to open up a conversation. He invites her in. And so in the midst of our sin and disobedience, God's first reaction is not condemnation, but conversation. Now, I'm not saying that there wouldn't have been consequences for Adam and Eve's actions. The fact of the matter is that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, something that they can't change now. But I wonder how much better it would have been if they owned what they did and humbled themselves before God instead of blaming others around them and God himself. Church, we are not innocent of this either. It's so easy for us to play the blame game when sin is pointed out in our lives or, or even when we're feeling that guilt of something that we've done. And it can be more subtle than you think. Bear with me. So you might find yourself talking negatively about someone, perhaps, to the point where it's it's, it's really gossip is what it is. And we justify it by saying, they should know better. And I just needed to vent, that's all. Let me just say, I'm putting my hand up here. This is something I've struggled with. But, you know, in the end, we end up venting with lots of people and nothing is done to recounsel that relationship with the person we're gossiping about. This is blaming others for our own sin, just like Eve did when she blamed the serpent for tempting her. You know, we sin because we're not seeking to love that person as Christ loves us. And we're blaming others for it. Or maybe you associate with this one. You find yourself constantly offending people by your brashness. You know, we we tend to bulldoze over people when we have a clear idea of you know what we think should happen. We just know this is the way it should be done, and we don't really care about others along the way. We're like, this is what needs to happen. And we justify it by saying, you know, I'm just telling it like it is. Just telling it like it is, and besides, that's the way God made me. But this is blaming God for giving you a particular personality, just like Adam blamed God for giving him Eve. You see, there is nothing wrong with having a clear direction, having a clear idea of what needs to happen. In fact, that's a gift from God. But it moves into sin when we don't care about the way we treat others along the way. See how subtle that is. Or maybe there's a sin that doesn't seem to affect other people. One that other people don't know about. You know, like excessive alcohol consumption or pornography or listening to music that subjectifies men and women. In these moments, like Adam and Eve, our natural tendency is to pull away from God. You know, no one else knows about this. God doesn't need to either. It's not affecting anyone. We want to hide. We want to hide this aspect from God. And normally we hide because we're either afraid to let go of this sin, we're afraid that something needs, that might need to change, or we're afraid of God's judgment. We're afraid that he's going to judge us harshly harshly if we come before him. But here's the thing, when we open up to God about our sin, fear is the opposite of what happens. Fear is the opposite of what happens. In fact, in 1 John 4, 18 to 19, John talks about the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. It says, such love, that's God's love, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect, this, His perfect love. We love each other because He loved us first. Church, the point I'm trying to make here is that we do not need to be afraid to be open and honest with God, especially about our sin. In fact, He invites us to do so and when we do so, this brings us back into an intimate and open relationship with Him that casts out all fear of judgment. Here's the key point that I want you to remember this morning. Point number four says that the invitation Adam and Eve received from God to re enter an open and intimate relationship. Is the same invitation we receive in Jesus the same invitation that Adam and Eve received to re-enter that relationship to to be open and honest even in the midst of their sin is the same one that we receive that Jesus gives to us you know even though Adam and Eve still had to live with the consequences of their choices which you can read about in the latter part of the chapter God did not leave them in their sin and shame you know he didn't leave them at that point of shame and, and and sinfulness instead he killed an animal to clothe them with its skin to remove their shame he clothed them to cover up their shame but here's the thing Jesus went that one step further He came and lived a life in perfect relationship with God. That relationship that was supposed to be in the garden, when we saw Adam and Eve and God walking amongst them, that was meant to be the way we were to interact with God. We were meant to walk with him. And Jesus did that. He came and he lived that life. But then he voluntarily took the weight of our sin and he nailed it to the cross. In effect, he died to sin for all who would receive his gift of grace. He died to sin for us so that we don't have to live in that life of sin. And in the resurrection, we can return to an intimate and open relationship with our God, the Creator. Remembering that that's what we were created to be in relationship with him. So, the invitation this morning is threefold. You know, there might be some of you who have sat on the fence for a while. And today is the day where, where God is saying, you know what, this invitation to enter a relationship with me is for you. You know, this is your moment. And God is asking you to be open and honest with Him. And He wants to walk with you daily. And so, if you haven't made that commitment before, whether you're here or online. You know, I want to pray for you in a moment. We can pray together. Secondly, the invitation this morning might be for you is that there's a sin in your life that God is asking you to be open about. He's saying, hey, I I don't want to stand at a distance. I want to be close with you. And he wants to bring new life out of the ashes. And so I would encourage you, this morning might be a moment where you can deal with some of that sin. In fact, after the service, um, we will have a prayer team up the front here who would be more than happy to pray with you and to encourage you. And so I'd encourage you to do so. And thirdly, for some of you, you might be sitting there going, look, things aren't perfect, but I feel pretty good at the moment. I feel like my walk with God is, is going well. I'm enjoying my time with him. That's good, I encourage you, keep going. But here's where the invitation comes in. The invitation is for others too. You know, don't don't keep that to yourself. Invite others into that relationship with Christ too and encourage you to do that. So church, I want to take a moment to pray for you. So let's let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that that you desire to be close to us. Lord, that you are not a God that stands at a distance and watches what goes on by, unmoved and unaffected. God, you see life's ups and downs. And when we hurt, that that grieves your heart as well. And when we celebrate, you rejoice with us. And God, I just want to Pray this morning for those that are curious about this relationship. God, for those that maybe feel you're tugging on their heart for the first time to step into uh, faith in you. God, I just pray this morning that you would open their eyes. Lord, that they would receive your love and know that they are counted as worthy because of what you've done. Lord, that they don't have to be ashamed for their sin anymore. God, that their sin is dealt with. It died along with you on the cross. And Lord, that they can rise with you in new life. A life as we were created to be. Lord, I also want to pray for those who, who have struggled with sin for some time now. Lord, this one thing that just seems to keep coming back into their life that they thought they had dealt with multiple times. God, I pray this morning that it would just be done with. As Pastor Lex always says, just stop it. (laughs) But it can only happen in your strength. God, I also just want to pray that We would have eyes to see those that need to hear about this invitation. God, that we would see those around us as as your children. They just don't know it yet. God, that we would be those that plant a seed in their hearts. God, we know that you will water it. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, God, in your precious name. Amen.